the pastors' conference. Every year, at the the pastors of the Southern Baptist churches get together and they have all these speakers. And it starts today, goes tomorrow, and then on Tuesday the Southern Baptist Convention begins. And that last Tuesday and Wednesday, so it's a four-day affair. And uh, tomorrow I'm having an article. I'm writing an article. It's going to be in SBC Today. You can get that online. And it's called A Kingdom Solution to the Southern Baptist Membership Decline. The report has just come out this week. The Southern Baptist Convention membership has declined for the seventh straight year. And I say in this article, I remember when this happened to the Methodist Church in the 60s and 70s. And those of us who were evangelicals looked at the Methodist Church and we said it's because they're liberal. You remember that? And guess what? There's not a liberal in the Southern Baptist Convention. So, and we're declining. So what's, what's the reason for the decline and what's the solution? So this article is called A Kingdom Solution to the Decline in the Southern Baptist Convention. You can get it online tomorrow. And uh, it's going to overlap the Pastors Conference and the Southern Baptist Convention. And my hope is that the thousands of people who are there will access it. And maybe somebody will take it to heart. And maybe one or two people will buy my book on the Kingdom of God. Uh, okay, so ready? Some. 71. And that's really not my motive. I just threw that out as something that was supposed to be funny that wasn't. Okay, Psalm 71. Now, has 24 verses. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read all the verses as we go along, and I'm going to make some observations along the way. We won't spend a lot of time on each verse, and I don't think we need to. Especially if you, as we read along... Notice the verbs, whether it's a past tense, whether it speaks of the present, whether it speaks of the future. It's very important in reading the Psalms, the verbs. And the pronouns. Is it speaking about us or is it speaking about them? In other words, the enemies of God. And then also look for the parallels. The parallelism, that's a form of Hebrew poetry. And if you were here last week, you know what I'm talking about. And that way we'll be able to go through the psalm fairly quickly. Now, this has been called a psalm of old age. But you're going to discover in the passage that it actually spans the writer's entire lifetime. From the point of his birth to the point of his near death. Okay? But he is writing it in his old age. And the, the theme is... Uh, is a, in a sense, is, is what we've seen before. The psalmist is crying out to God not to forsake him. And in this case, don't forsake me in my old age. You've been with me from the beginning. Don't leave me now. And when John Wesley was 86 years old, on his 86th birthday, he turned and he read this psalm for comfort and assurance that God was still with him as he was preaching the gospel. So I think that you will really enjoy this psalm. Now here's how I'm going to outline it, okay? It's divided into two sections. Verses 1 through 13. The psalmist prays. So it's a prayer. Verses 1 through 13 is a prayer. Uh, more specifically, it's a prayer for deliverance. Okay? And then the second section is verses 14 through 24. 
And that's a praise. And the psalmist praises God for his faithfulness. So we have the psalmist prayer and the psalmist praise. And you'll be able to see there is a clear demarcation between those two sections. Okay? So let's look at the first section. Let's look at the psalmist's prayer. And notice how it starts. This is Psalm 71 and verse 1. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. He makes a declaration of faith. He just right up front speaks to God and declares his faith. Now notice something about this faith. First of all, I want you to notice that it is a present faith. Notice I put right now my trust. In the Lord. It's a present faith. Also notice that it's a personal faith. Look at he says this. I put my trust in the Lord. One of the things I want you to notice as we're reading through this psalm is to count the number of times the word, the pronoun my is used. You're going to find it's used probably about 15 times. It's a very personal uh, psalm. Next what we see is his request. Look what he says at the end of verse 1. And he says it negatively. Here's his request voiced negatively let me never be put to shame and uh, you saw last week when the psalmist says don't put me to shame he is uh i just go off the air am i still still okay i thought i went off the air okay when he says don't put me to shame he's saying don't allow me to, to lose the battle don't allow me to lose the war don't allow my enemies to triumph over me because I've been bragging about you, God. And if I lose, then I'm going to be put to shame and the cause of God's going to be put to shame. So that is spoken negatively. Now we have his request spoken or voiced positively in verse 2. Deliver me, that's the positive, in your righteousness and cause me to escape. Deliver me in your righteousness and cause me to escape. So it's a, it's a cry for a rescue. He needs deliverance. And uh, so he's facing, I think he's facing enemies who are trying to destroy him, probably the nation of Israel. We don't know if David wrote this, but we know that David wrote the previous psalm, Psalm 70. And you're going to see a lot of the things in Psalm 71 are repeated uh, from Psalm 70. So it's probably David that wrote this. So he's facing these enemies and he cries out to be rescued. Notice he says, deliver me in your righteousness. Do you see that phrase? What does that mean? Wouldn't I just say, deliver me, help me? Why would I have to add the phrase if I were in trouble? Why wouldn't I just say, God, deliver me? Why does he say, God, deliver me in your righteousness? What does that mean? Did you ever think about that? Uh, as I've thought about that this week, I'm what I'm considering is that God has entered into an agreement with the nation of Israel. It's called a covenant. And God said, I'll keep my covenant with you, and what he's asking God to do is do it. You know, this is based on the fact that you made a promise, now keep your promise, deliver me in this righteousness, this covenant, this right covenant that you made with the nation. And then he says this at the end of verse 2, incline your ear to me and save me. That's uh, save and deliver means the same thing. Notice he says, incline your ear to me. What does that mean, though, incline? Doesn't mean they're sort of, you know, listen like that? Like lean forward? This is called an anthropomorphism. God doesn't really have an ear, does he? 
If you think he has an ear, you're in trouble. God is spirit, right? Uh, so this is an anthropomorphism. The idea that the writer is conveying is that he is at the end of his rope. Uh, he's hurting real bad. Uh, he's down for the count, and the, the, and the referee's ready to count him out. And uh, he's been wounded, maybe, and he can't even scream, Oh, God, help! All he can do is just say, Whisper it. So he's asking God to lean down and listen to his heart's cry, in a sense. So that's what this concept is. And then in verse 3 he says this, Be my strong refuge to which I may resort continually. Uh, he is dependent on God his entire life, and he depends on God, and he says, God, you be my refuge. Uh, upon whom I can resort to continually. Um, it's, you know, if you grew up and you had a big brother, I mean, you know, you were little and you had a big brother, no one bothered with you. If they did, guess what? Guess where you resorted? <laughs> you went to your big brother. And you knew you could always go to your big brother. And uh, you were going to be delivered. <laughs> you are going to be saved from that situation. That's how David sees God. He sees God as this big brother figure, one who is more powerful than all the others. Be my strong refuge. Uh, you have given the commandment to save me. And I think this again has to do with that covenant that God has agreed that this is what he would do. He's promised that he would do it. For you are my, and here's the reason that he'll do it. This is how David, or the writer, knows that God will deliver him. He says, because... You are my rock. Did you see the word my? Yes, you stopped counting mys, haven't you? Have you stopped counting the mys? Is this the second my? No, there's other mys in there. You haven't counted them. I told you I didn't count them. What is it? Verse 3. You're my strong refuge. You see, there's another my. And now, at the end of verse 3. For you are my, my rock and my fortress. My fortress means my fort. If you want to escape somebody from somebody, you climb up on, and get into the cleft of a rock and they couldn't get to you. Or you would run to the, the Fort Apache, you know? And when you ran to Fort Apache, the savages couldn't get to you, could they? In early American history. So now we see that he says, you're my fortress. I, I can get inside the fort. Uh, in their neighborhoods, which have safe house. You know, you have some neighborhood, you'll have signs that says this is a, a neighborhood safe house, which means if somebody is chasing a little kid home from school, he sees the sign, he can run into that house, he's safe. If a person turns state witness, what do they put them in? Yeah, but you know in the movies, you're not safe in that house. But if God's your rock, if God's your safe house, you don't have any problems there. Okay, now look at verse 4. Deliver me, oh my God, out of the hand of the wicked. That's line number 1 in Hebrew poetry. And then line number 2 means the same thing. Out of the hand of the unrighteous and cruel man. In other words, deliver me. So the person who is after the writer is somebody who is cruel. And a violent person. So there's violence that's about to take place here. And then he gives the reason he comes to God. Look what he says in verse 5. For you are what? 
my, see that? You're my hope. Hope always deals with the future. In this case, the future of deliverance, O oh, Lord God. You are what? My trust. I don't have to worry about anything. I have complete confidence in you. You're my confidence. From what? My youth. From my youth. So, from the time he was young to the time he's old, he is trusted in God, and God has come through in each situation. This man has a lifelong relationship with God. Now look down at verse number 6. Again, you'll see a first line and a second line. Look at verse 6. But you, I, have been upheld from birth. Look, you've upheld me from birth. You see that? That's line number 1. Now look at line number 2. You are he who took me out of my mother's womb. You are he who took me out of my mother's womb. You thought the doctor delivered you? You thought the midwife delivered you? Who do you really delivered you? God is the divine midwife. You see that phrase, took me out? Some translations have this, you severed me from my mother's womb. Anybody have one of those translations? That's basically what the Hebrew says. You severed me. It could be the idea of you cut the umbilical cord when I was born. And uh, so this means that from the start, from the point of birth, see, God has had his divine hand on this individual's life. And he, the, the psalmist realizes that. And let me just tell you something. God's had his hand on your life from the time you were born to you may not realize it. And he's had his hand on your child's life and your grandchildren's lives and your siblings' lives and you might think, you know, where in the world are they going with their lives? But I'll tell you something, God has everything in control. You might not realize it, but he does. The psalmist realizes it and he declares it. You know, this is the thing. We often say, well, yeah, I know God's guided me. I can look back and see his hand. You know, I can trace his hand and his guidance throughout my life, but we don't declare it. See, the psalmist declares it. That's what makes the psalmist a little different than most of us. Look what he says in verse 6. My praise, at the end of verse 6, shall be continually to you. This is how he responds to God's faithfulness. See, he's constantly, notice continually, he is constantly praising God. Always praising God. When we see people that praise God, we think they're a little nuts. So, praise the Lord, hallelujah, you know. And sometimes they are a little nuts. <laughs> because they're really not praising God. That's just a habit. That's just, that's just another ritual. Praise the Lord, hallelujah. It does not necessarily come from the heart, but his declaration of praise to God comes from the heart. And when he does this, it grabs people's attention. And they sit up and they take notice. Look in verse 7. I have become as a wonder, as a sign to many. When you praise God through thick and thin, and you know, if this psalmist is King David, he's been through thick and thin, hasn't he? He's always praising God. And when he praises God, people sit up and take notice, and he's a wonder to them. He's a, it's a sign of amazement. How in the world can this guy be praising God all the time? They wonder. You know, uh, if he's acknowledging God, 
And when you're praising God and declaring God's praise throughout your life, people cannot but help notice. It's like a thunderbolt. It's so rare to see that happen. But they sit up and they take notice. And he says that's what happens. He is a test, gives a testimony to God. But look at the end of verse 7, what he says. <clears throat> in the beginning he says, I have, but look what he says at the end of verse 7. But you are my strong refuge. The people look to the psalmist in amazement, but the psalmist knows where the real strength comes from. See? The psalmist realizes that God is the source of his confidence. People look at him, David, and they say, Oh, he trusts. He trusts the Lord. How does he do that? And David says, Well, they look to me, but guess what? I know. It's not me. It's because you're so great. You're so strong. I just have my confidence in you. And then he says this. <clears throat> this is a good statement. Let my mouth be filled with your praise. And this is his request. And let my mouth be filled with your glory, in a sense, all day long. So, this is his request. Lord, let my mouth be filled with your praise and your glory all day long. Now, if your mouth is filled with something, put marbles in your mouth. Okay? Doesn't matter what you put in your mouth. And fill your mouth with whatever it is. And I'm talking about filling it. And fill it all day long. You don't have any more room in your mouth for anything else, do you? The psalmist says, my mouth is filled with the praise of God all day long. This is why he's such an amazement to the people. And if your mouth is filled with praises to God all day long, there won't be any room for you to criticize other people, you know, gossip, talk bad about people, complain, you see that? Because if you're filled with God's praise, there's no room for anything else. So this is his heart's desire. This is what he, how he wants to live. Now look at the next petition. Verse 9. Do not cast me off in time of old age. Line number 1. Line number 2. Do not forsake me when my strength fails. <clears throat> so the first line and the second line means exactly the same thing. This is the first time, by the way, old age is mentioned in the Psalms. And his eyes are, his eyes are failing. Uh, his, his hearing is failing. Uh, his bones are getting brittle. <clears throat> you know you're getting old. One of the marks is when you fall and what happens. You break your hip, you break your pelvis, you break something, you break your wrist. You used to be able to break your fall, now it breaks you. You know you're getting old when your eyes get dim and the doctor says, well, you need to, I remember just when they said you need to get glasses. But what's the next step? <laughs> you need to get your, you got cataracts, you need to get something else. Or, you know, your hearing is failing and you need to get a hearing aid. Now, some of you don't admit you're old. Right? 
Now, I can only hear about 50%. That's what my wife tells me. <laughs> but uh, I don't believe that. So he's describing being old. Notice what he says in verse 9. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Do not forsake me when my strength fails. So here is a person who is aging. All their physical abilities are diminishing. And the only strength he really has left is in the Lord. Because if somebody said, hey, I want you to do that. And you're old, guess what? Well, when you were 25, you could have done it. But guess what? You can't do it anymore. So his only strength is in the Lord. And if the Lord doesn't, doesn't deliver him in this particular situation that he's facing, we only think it's a battle, but we don't know. He's not going to survive. So he has to depend upon the Lord. Now what causes him to make this request? Don't forsake me when my strength is failing, and don't forsake me when I'm old. Look what the reason for the request is. Look at verse 10. For my enemies speak against me, and those who lie, lie in wait for my life take counsel together, saying, God has forsaken him. Pursue, pursue and take him, for there's none to deliver him. See, they, his enemies look at the king here, and they see his frail health. And they discover, this guy couldn't lead an army to defeat us if you gave him a million bucks. You know, he's just not up to it anymore. He doesn't have the resolve. He doesn't have the ability. He doesn't have the leadership characteristics. You know, he's old. His mind is failing. And so notice, the psalmist cries out for God to intervene. He says, don't cast me off now. Now's not the time to let me go. And don't forsake me. Because my enemies, in verse 10, speak against me. Notice that their strategy. Notice what they... Their weapons are to defeat the psalmist uh, in verse 10. Number one, look at this. They speak against me. They start passing rumors around. The king's not, can't do it anymore. You, know, you really need to not get behind this guy. Uh, they strategize. They lie and wait for my life. Look, they're ready for an ambush. They take counsel together. What do they say when they get together in that smoke-filled room? Developing a strategy against the king to overthrow his nation. Look what they say in verse 11. God has forsaken him. Boy, that's pretty strong. We can go up against him now. We can defeat him because God has forsaken him. They're going to be wrong in their evaluation. So here's what they decide to do. Let's pursue and take him for there's none who will deliver him. Uh, he just doesn't seem like he's going to be able to uh, defend himself or defend his nation. So what happens is that the psalmist now lets out an urgent plea. He gives off an urgent plea. Look what he says in verse 12. Oh God, do not be far from me. Previous verse he said, don't forsake me. God, do not be far from me. Oh God, make haste to help me. Prove them wrong. Prove them that you haven't forsaken me. Come to my aid and do it now. He says in verse 13, let them be confounded and consumed. Uh, we saw that was repeated over in Psalm 70 in verse 2. Remember that from last week? 
That means when they get together and they get in their battle with them, get confused, we talked about the fog of war and all that kind of stuff. Line number one and then line number two in verse 13. Who are adversaries of my life, let them be covered with reproach and dishonor who seek my hurt. And so they want to overthrow the king and overthrow the nation. And uh, they said, we can do it now. He's frail. He can't lead an army. We got him right where we want him. God's forsaking him. And he cries out, oh God, don't forsake me. Don't be far from me. Confuse them with the fog of war come upon them. Bring reproach and dishonor to them, those who seek my hurt. In other words, cause them to lose the war. Okay? So that's the first section. The whole thing is a prayer, basically, isn't it? Okay? Now we move to the psalmist praise, section number 2, verses 14 through 24. And this is the pivot point in the psalm. Okay? This is the pivot point in the psalm. Everything revolves around this, this verse. Okay? Beginning in verse 14, everything changes. Look what he says in verse 14. But I, see that? But I, verses 1 through 13, he prayed because of his enemy. Them, the enemy, they that want to hurt me. See, that was how verse 13 ended. Now, look in verse 14. But I, from this point on, from 13 all the way to the end, the enemies will not be mentioned once, except in the very last phrase of the last verse. So now everything now focuses on the psalmist himself. Okay? And it opens up with a vow. Look what he does in verse 14. But I will hope continually. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to give in. I'm going to continue to hope, which deals with the future. You have, I hope it's not cancer. I hope it's not this. I hope I get out of this situation. I hope always deals with the future. He says, I'm going to hope, put my reliance on God, and I'm going to do it continually, regardless of what the situation looks like, regardless of my health. And, he says in verse 14, I will praise you yet more and more. In fact, you know what I'm doing? I'm ratcheting up another bit. Now, if they just thought his praise was something before and caught people's attention, now he's going to ratchet it up even more. And he says, I will praise you yet more and more. Why is he going to do it? Look at this. Look at the reason. He says, my mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all day. Here's the reason. For I do not know their limits. Now look at that. What does that mean, I do not know their limits? That means I don't know the limit of your righteousness, and I don't know the limit of your deliverance. In other words, what he's saying, some translations have, I do not know their number. Does anybody have a translation that says, I do not know their number? Well, a couple of you have that. What he's saying is that God's righteousness, God's covenant-keeping ability to do what he says he'll do, God's justice, God's love, God's protection, I... Uh, is inexhaustible. I don't know their limits. They're without limit. They're without number. You can't number those. God's, God is, uh, is faithful no matter what. It's beyond number. His, the depth of His love, the depth of His faithfulness to you, the, the width, the depth and the width, the breadth, the height, are without number. It cannot be calculated. 
God's character and God's ability are beyond anything that we can think of. You can think of the highest number that you can think of. 20 times, 20 times, you know, zillions times zillions. It doesn't exhaust God's ability. So he says, I'm going to continue to praise you. I'm going to ratchet it up because I do not know the limits of your power. When God has delivered David, it just took God just a wink. <laughs> you know, God, God's power is unlimited. So, how unlimited is it? The Red Sea can open up. Is a whole nation of a couple million people can escape from a tyrant? The tyrant's army comes after them, and just like that, it's over. <coughs> All God told Moses to do was, "Hey, lift up your staff, would you?" Moses, I'm, I'm old. I'm decrepit. I'm old. I'm decrepit. Aaron says, let me help you. And guess what? The sea opens up. The enemy is destroyed. That's God's power. That's, a, that's an amazing thing, isn't it? Walking on water, you know, flood. It doesn't matter. God's power is unlimited. Now, as a result, he comes and gives another vow. Look what he says in verse 16. I will go in the strength of the Lord God. Look, I will go in the strength of the Lord God. In other words, I won't rely on my own ingenuity. I will make mention of your righteousness and of yours only. I will never take credit for anything that I do. You will get all the credit. I will acknowledge you. And then look what he says in verse 17. Oh God, you have taught me from my youth. He's been a lifelong disciple since a young age. And then look at the end of verse 17. I like the wording here. And to this day, I declare your wondrous works. Now notice there are two terms there that have to do with time. Do you see that? The first term in verse 17 is the word from. Look, from. The second term is to this day. See? From and to this day. In other words, from this point to this day, or over the span of a lifetime. You see that? Over the span of a lifetime, over decades, he's remained true to God. See? You've taught me from my youth, and to this day I declare your wondrous works. See? From when? From my youth. From the time when I was a little shepherd boy holding a, a shepherd's rod. To this day, holding a king's scepter. He's had this relationship with God. It spans a lifetime. Notice, as a youth, what happened in verse 17. From youth, guess what God did? God taught him. Do you see that? In his youth, God taught him. Now look at the next phrase. What does the psalmist do? To this day, I what? I declare God does something, and the psalmist declares God's wondrous works. So we see this cooperation that goes on. And now, look at verse 18. Now also, when I am old and gray-headed, O God, do not forsake me. 
until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. Now we have two more words associated with time, don't we? You see those two words? In verse 18, the word now, you see that? That deals with the present. You see that? Now deals with the present. And then look at the word until. You see that? Until deals with the future. So, in verse 17, from my youth, dealt, dealt with the past. You see that? Now deals with what? The present. Until deals with what? The future. You see how he's thinking? That's past, present, and future. God didn't forsake him in his youth. And guess what? He won't forsake him now. David has praised God continually, and he will continually praise him in the future. Now look how David describes himself there in verse 18. It's very interesting. He says, Now also when I am old and gray-headed. See? Right now, this is what he is. This is why it's a psalm of the old age. Right now he's what? He's old and gray-headed. Now here's what Spurgeon says in his commentary. Spurgeon said, His hair has now turned white with the snows of many winters. Well, that's poetic, isn't it? His hair has now turned white with the snows of many winters. I'm going to start a novel that way. I like that. Uh, he no longer has dark hair. <laughs> he no longer has the strength of youth and he needs God more now than he ever needed God. And then look what he says at the end of verse 18. Here's his request. Oh God, in the middle of verse 18, oh God, do not forsake me. Say, oh God, do not forsake me. Watch this. Until. You see that? Don't forsake me what? Until I declare your strength to this generation. There's going to be a time when the psalmist is going to die. There's going to be a time when every one of us is going to die. He knows that. He says, but Lord, don't allow this to happen until I do what? Declare. Declare what? Declare your strength, your power, to this generation and to everyone who is what? To come. He realizes he has a responsibility to tell the story of God. God's great acts in history all the way up through his life to the next generation so they can carry on that story. See? We all have a responsibility to declare God's worth and God's strength and God's acts to the next generation. That's exactly what we're to do. If you're grandparents, you have a responsibility. I don't care what your children do. This should be your prayer. Oh, Lord, don't forsake me until I declare your strength to the next generation. That they can carry on the gospel beyond my lifetime. And then he asks a question in verse 19. He makes a declaration. He asks a question. Also, your righteousness, O God, is very high. You've done great things. 
You've done great things. Look at this. Your righteousness is very high right now. Right now. And in the past, you've done great things. You see that? And he asked this question. Oh God, who is like you? And what's the answer? No one. Uh, we all fall short of God's glory. There's no one like God. Every human exploit is child's play compared to what God does. There's no one like God. He's that high. That high. You climb Mount Everest and you think you've accomplished something, and God's still looking down at you. Not such a big accomplishment. You see? Send a, a missile to Mars that high. And guess what? He's looking down on you. There's no one like God. No matter what we... Hey, these little peons, these enemies, who come against the psalmist, are not coming against the psalmist. They're coming against God. And there's no way that they're going to win. And this is what the psalmist says. He says, Lord, let me, let me get through this mess one more time. Step in, intervene, produce another victory so I can declare your righteousness and your goodness and your power and your strength to the next generation. Look at verse 20. It says, You have shown me great and severe troubles. Look, not caused me troubles, but guess what? You who have shown me great and terrible troubles shall revive me again. That's the confidence that he has. Based on the past, he has confidence that God will do it again, and you will bring me up again from the depths of the earth. He's been to the point of death when I can, when I can only whisper, help. My strength is gone, and I said, help. And you have to incline your ear to me. I have total confidence that you'll bring me up again. You see those two agains there in verse 20? He's done it in the past, and he'll do it in the future. He'll do it again for you as well. And look at verse 21. You shall increase my greatness, meaning my honor, my prestige, and you'll comfort me on every side. Here he knows that God will consult him. And now he gives his final vow. He says, also, with the lute, I will praise you. In other words, I will praise you accompanied by instruments. And your faithfulness, O God. To you I will sing with the heart, O Holy One of Israel. My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing to you. In other words, my face will show it when I sing to you. My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing to you. And my soul, meaning my soul, shall rejoice which you have redeemed. In other words, He's not only going to sing God to God with his lips, like some of you did this morning in church. We sang with our lips. But guess what? He says, not only with my lips will I sing to God, but what? With my soul, with my whole being. My whole life will be a praise to God. I'll, I won't go just through the motions. I will literally, from the depths of my being, praise God. See? And then he says this, my tongue shall also talk. See, in verse 22, I will sing. But look in verse 24. My tongue shall also talk of your righteousness all day long. I will testify to you in the marketplace. You know, 
in the schools, in the home, wherever you are, you should be talking about God's faithfulness. And the reason he'll do it, here's why I will be doing it all day long, because they, that's the enemy, are confounded. Because they're brought to shame. In other words, they have been bragging and they've lost the world war. Who seek my hurt? So, it's a psalm of old age. Um, you know, when I came to Criswell College to teach, I was a young man. I had a lot of energy. And now I'm nearing retirement. I've seen a span of my lifetime. You know what I want to do? This is my prayer. Oh, Lord, be not far from me. Do not forsake me until I tell the next generation of your strength and of your goodness and of your righteousness. I want my students to be able to look to me, not only the words that come out of my mouth, but look to me and see in me that a, that a person can start off in their youth and continue to be faithful to serve the Lord until they're old. There's something to that. I want them to see that it is possible to be faithful to God and God to be faithful to you and the covenant that he's made with you throughout an entire lifetime. So that's my goal is to proclaim God's greatness for the next generation. Why would I do that? Because he's a God without limits. Who's like God? Why wouldn't you want to brag about God? If you found a restaurant, you said, there's no other restaurant in Dallas like this. Of course you go brag about the best. We have whole magazines on the five best restaurants in Dallas. You know, they have all these kinds of the five best lawyers, the five best doctors. You've seen all that. Just brag. Usually it's the doctors who pay for those ads in there. <laughs> the lawyers, you know, they're bragging about themselves. But this is what we're to do. We're to brag about God because he's a God without limits. He's a God who can save us. He does save us. He's a God who heals. Don't think God won't heal you. He'll heal you. He's a God without limits. I don't know if he can do that. Of course he can do it. But we should be praising him if he does it. He can restore a marriage. He can mend a broken life. He can heal a broken heart. He can rescue a wayward son. This is a, this is a psalm for an entire lifetime. This is one that spans from the womb to youth, where the youth is taught all the way to old age. And what's, what's the job for the youth? Is to take the teaching of God and apply it to their lives. What's the job of those who have reached old age? It's to proclaim God's righteousness and strength to the next generation. Amen? Next week we'll hit Psalm 72. Lord, thank you for your word. When we see a psalm like this, and we, whatever station in life we are, wherever we are in our chronological journey of life, whether it's the teenager, 20s, 30s, old age, this is a psalm that we can take to heart. You are a God who is faithful. You will not forsake us until that mission that you have for us to, oh Lord, and even then, even then, as we look to the cross, 
And Jesus completed his mission on that cross. You didn't forsake him. You raised him from the dead. Lord, we know that that will be our case as well. One day we'll all dwell in the kingdom of God on this earth. And everything will be restored. We'll look back and we'll say it's been worth it. Our faithfulness to God and his faithfulness to us has been a testimony to the world. And in the end, we'll be glad that we've made this lifelong commitment to you. Oh, Lord, help us to keep it in Christ's name. Amen.